following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Pluralism is a political philosophy that embraces social and political inclusiveness. In pluralistic societies, men and women from different religions, ethnicities, races, and political parties cooperate and share power. Though they have different, often conflicting, beliefs and interests, they coexist peacefully through democratic compromise. Under pluralism, members of these competing groups are treated as equal before the law. This doesn't mean that individuals can't make judgments that some beliefs and viewpoints are better than others. Rather, it means that permitting different approaches is best for society as a whole, for living together in harmony, and for the pursuit of truth and progress. We live in a pluralistic society. Our diversity makes us strong. You've heard these lies, disguised as social progress. Strength does not come from division, but from unity. Yet both these moronic statements from the left deny that common sense principle. Are there some benefits to seeing things from different points of view? Sure, of course there are. Is there some merit to including varying points of view? Certainly. But at some point, the differences must be put aside, not celebrated. And achieving the goal must now become the mission. Successful militaries, armies, don't operate on these stupid notions of equality. That's why there are ranks in the military. In fact, nothing successful functions on these idiotic principles from the left, and that includes mostly the left itself. The left has no more interest in diversity than the man in the moon. And this is proven on its face alone as the left pursues its monolithic, completely unified goal of moral and political hegemony, its non-stop march to use governments to produce a global government where no one will even be able to spell the word diversity. The left, meaning socialists, uses the facade of diversity to break down the monolith of Catholic morality. Then. Once it has smashed Catholicism into a million tiny pieces, talk about diversity, in the name of diversity, it will then reassemble it into a single unified tool for destroying the faith. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, we're back doing the podcast today, and uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of God for some time. Last week, we talked about pragmatism. Today, we're going to talk about pluralism. Now, I didn't really know what pluralism is, so I, I looked it up, and it says that pluralism is a belief that there should be diverse and competing centers of power in society. So, Pastor Walt, how does that fit into the kingdom of God? That's a great definition to start with. I'm sure there's probably other ideas of what pluralism means, but the kingdom is the center of power. There should be no other competing powers in our life other than the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. He said that you should give up everything for the kingdom. He illustrated that in the parable of the man who bought the field and he, because he saw this precious jewel in it, so he went and sold everything that he had 
And we have divided loyalties in the church today. We live in a pluralistic society, and we live in a pluralistic church. So what we do is we compartmentalize our lives, and we allow for these competing factions in our life. We have our church on Sunday, and that's my hour or hour and a half, depending on where you go. And those are my church friends, and those church friends don't have much else to contribute to my life. And then I have my exercise time, and then I have my mental time, and then I have my work time, and, and the gospel doesn't cross over into that. And I hear this constantly from Christians is, how do I get God into my relationships? How do I get God into my work? How do I get God into every single area of my life? But that's not what we've been taught in the church there's a hunger and a desire, and pastors need to do a better job of helping people to get the kingdom into every area of their lives. And that's why I focus so much on the kingdom, because in our mindset, in our American mindset, church is just a set time on Sundays. But when you think about the kingdom, it gives us a broader perspective. God's instrument, again, to bring the kingdom to the world is the church. But how do we get the kingdom into our lives we, again, have these these things segmented out. So as Americans, you know, I got to take care of my diet. I got to take care of my health. I got to take care of my family. I got to work a job. And I don't really have room for Jesus in any of those things. But I wonder, is not the belief that the kingdom is all of those things as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it all comes out of the foundation, that the foundation of life, of the virtue and principle, all comes out of the kingdom. But somehow the system has failed us because we departmentalize all these things and they never cross over. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. And we were just having this conversation, right? You want deeper relationship as a believer with other believers. But I don't think that Christian believers really know how to do that. We've been watching this film series on the church in Iran. Their life is the church, is the other people. And they long for fellowship because there's nobody else in their culture that believes what they believe. And so they do things like they travel to other countries as tourists to be together. So they'll go to Australia or the, and they can finally sing out loud together, rejoice together. Man, if we could crave fellowship in the church in America like that. Wow, How I it would agree. change things. Well, you know, Pastor Walt, so often our culture dictates our Christian values. In other words, I am an African-American, for example. Well, into my Christianity comes my culture, or I am a Swede or Norwegian, and that creates a certain kind of format for my worship. That enters into my understanding of Christ. And evangelicalism, that kind of enters in, and that creates a whole other set of issues and virtues virtues and so forth, shouldn't then we look at culture, our culture, personal culture, as almost an enemy of the kingdom of God? Absolutely. That's a great way to say it. We don't have all the answers in the Western church. You drive by these coffee shops in, in our community here, and we see Somali men, and they're, they're talking all the time. And there was a tragic case where a Somali man gave his life to Christ a couple years ago, and he shows up to church on Sunday, and they're like, okay, we'll see you next Sunday. And he bailed out of Christianity a year or two later. And he said, you know, I gave up my family to be a part of this, and I thought the church was going to be my new family. 
I don't want any part of this if this is what the Christian faith is. So we don't have all the answers, and we keep doubling down on the same old plan, which is get a church, grow a building, get people together, have a phenomenal service, a great experience. That feeds right back in to what we should be avoiding, is to focus everything on that one event during the week. And it's so hard to get people to break out of that and get them to see that you need to be with each other two, three, four, five times a week if possible, sharing meals together, fellowshipping together. The world is coming to our doorstep here in America, and they're, I think they're taking a look at our Christian faith and saying, man, who wants to be a part of this? These Christians aren't looking out for each other. They don't take care of each other. Any other culture, so that's the thing about Christianity, we should be our own culture. Exactly. With our own set of laws, and Jesus gave us those laws. The Sermon on the Mount, he gave the laws of the kingdom. And he told how we were supposed to interact, behave with one another. We, going back to this whole idea of our culture and assimilating, sort of be having a, a loyalty to our specific culture. And people always want to say, well, how do I bridge the gap culturally with other cultures? I say, well, relationship. It's about personal relationship, like Jesus had with his disciples. And one of the things that I'm seeing in the church, we just had a retreat a couple of weekends ago, and I brought some of the young adult men from our church. One of them, Colin, was on the podcast last week, and Riley's been on some other podcasts with me. And the other guys from the other churches are so impressed with these young men. You know, why are they so on fire? Why are they so committed to Christ? Why are they so intense about their relationship with Jesus? I'm saying, and they say, wow, you, you must really be doing something great as a pastor. It's not me. They make me look good. That's for sure. It's their relationships with one another. It's their community that they have formed with one another, that they are highly accountable with one another. So one person gets off track. I mean, who holds us accountable, Larry? I tell people all the time, don't follow me. You don't know anything about me. You don't know what's going on in my personal life. You certainly don't know what's going on in my thought life. But Paul says several times, imitate me. Wow, that sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? <laughs> Boy, that's a dangerous statement, right? It As is. As you say, because I, none of us feel worthy enough to anyone emulate what I do, that's for sure. But here's the thing that I found very interesting. You know, the Ecclesiastes writer says the end of a matter is, is better than the beginning. And when I look at the ministry of Jesus, for example, the end of his ministry was sacrifice. And that's something that I don't think that we have in our understanding of the church. The end of the matter really is about how well am I willing to deny myself or sacrifice for the kingdom or for those who are in the kingdom. Because as you gave that example of that Somali guy, there's nobody sacrificing for him. And that's why he saw the shallowness of, of the Christianity that he experienced. Yeah, yesterday I, I have this little app on my phone. It's called Flip, and it just flips through news reports. And one of them, I, I was stunned. I shouldn't be stunned, but I'm stunned. And it says, five women tell how to have good hookups. And we know what that is. And I'm thinking, how much of the American population, that's our definition of love, is to use another person's body and be able to just walk away from that with no attachment whatsoever. Now, don't tell me that's not creeping into the church, not hookups. 
I hope, but the idea that this person serves a purpose for me. And Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. True love tells us that we have to serve a person. What kind of relationship exists with a contractual relationship? If I say to my wife, I will clean the kitchen if you whatever, no relationship can can stand with that. And that's I think that's how we approach our relationships. We approach our church. What do you have for me, pastor? Wow me today. Entertain me. There's no idea of self-sacrifice, of putting aside my, my dreams, my wishes, laying down my life. I, I always say that spiritual formation, kingdom life, cannot happen outside of community, but we're trying to do it outside of community in the church today. So coming back to pluralism, Pastor Walt, uh, is that not a kingdom divided? I mean, if a person comes to your church service and listens to a good sermon, how does that sermon get dissected by the pluralism in the rest of that person's life? Oh, our friend Mac talks about this a lot. Mac always says when he's sitting in the service, he likes to kind of scan the audience and think, how is this person in their situation interpreting the sermon today? And how is this? And I often say to the congregation, there are some people I can say the sky is blue in my sermon, and they will say, the pastor just said that the sky is pink. No, I said the sky is blue. And another person says, no, the pastor just said that the sky is purple. No, I said we filter it through, and whatever we love, whatever our political ideology is, whatever our background is, whatever our culture is, we take that message and we kind of filter it through. And I think so often we say to ourselves, ah, that's not really for me. That's not really for me. So when I say to the congregation, spiritual formation is impossible outside of a community, well, that's nice for you, Pastor, because you have lunch with different people in the church every day and you have fellowship. But but for me, I got the kids taking the kids to soccer and I've, the boss is really riding me. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that the kingdom has to invade every single area of our life. Jesus has got to come with us on the job. He's got to come with us to the soccer game. And I'm finding as we're slowly getting it in our church, we had testimony time last Sunday, and a couple people got up and said, one guy got up and said, hey, my, um, my co-worker and I have started a conversation about Jesus and he started to attend church. And then another woman got up and said, I've been witnessing this guy for the last four or five years. I lost track of him. And I kept telling him, I, no matter what lifestyle you choose or whatever, I love you. She lost track with him after he had a tragic accident. He was in an accident. The, the person in the car was killed and it really shook him up and made contact with him again. And he said, I'm going to church. We've got to take Jesus into every area and every aspect of our lives. We've got to stop this. I got to take care of my body over here and Jesus has nothing to do with it. And I got to take care of my mind and Jesus has nothing to do with it. Jesus wants to be in every single aspect of our lives. And the part that we're missing is that we have to do that all within a community of believers today. Don't you think, Larry, that people are just starving for that kind of community? And the church has an opportunity here with this generation where 20% of millennials say they have no friends at all, none, 
Don't you think the church has a great opportunity? It has a great opportunity. But do you think also, Pastor Walt, that even though the opportunity for us, the church, to involve ourselves more in people's lives, do people really want that privacy invaded? I mean, I remember as a pastor, and I wanted to do some home visits. I couldn't get anyone to invite me to their home. I couldn't get in the front door. Now, they'll be nice to me on Sunday morning and talk with me. But if I said, hey, I'd like to come by and visit your family, meet, you know, the relatives or whatever, just come and pray for your home. No way, Jose. I couldn't get anyone to open the door to me. Oh, I've been there. That's the American way. And I have to be honest that when somebody comes to my door and I don't know who it is, I don't want to answer the door. That's what the American public really wants is I just want to be left alone. And and we can't. We can't be left alone because our lives are intersect so much. Somebody is going to control the narrative in our culture. And Christians aren't seizing the opportunity to control that narrative because our faith doesn't go off into the public life. We don't allow Jesus to come into our area. And we don't create the, again, the culture of Christianity. I don't see us creating a culture. We just keep doing the same thing. We keep holding up the big churches and the growing churches as the model of success. And you've got uh, one of those for every hundred churches that are just kind of laboring away. And what are those other 99 churches doing? They're saying, well, I got to copy this guy. And I'm saying to them, no, you need to actually go deeper in relationship with one another. That's what, what I think we get wrong in the church and this whole church growth movement is that we think that the key is just reach out, reach out, get more people, spread the word, advertise, send a card out to the community so that we know that our church is here. I think that the answer is much different. I think a church that's not not growing, they need to ask themselves the question, are we loving each other in this room the way Jesus told us to love one another? Are we becoming the attractional community that Jesus modeled for us? And, and back to this word imitate, where Paul is saying imitate, but isn't that what Jesus was showing his disciples? This community that I have with you, the way I traveled with you for three and a half years, spent my life with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, modeled for you. This is how you grow the church. And they did that. They went out and they formed communities and the church exploded because people said, we want to be a part of that community. Last week, it was pragmatism, the idea that everything has to work for me. If it doesn't work for me, it's not relevant. We got to get that out of the church. And then we got to get this pluralism out of the church that this is just my one hour with Jesus during the week and then nothing else the rest of the time. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. Back in the day, Pastor Walt, when I was a pastor, I was praying one evening for the church I was pastoring. And I was praying along the lines as, God, bring people in. God, anoint this place so people can feel the presence of God. You know, the typical prayers that we pray that we want to see the flourishing of the ministry. And I, I noticed distinctly he said, why? Give me reasons why I should lead people to your church. And I never forgot that, Pastor Walt, because I really didn't have good reasons for people to walk through the door other than in my own ego, they need to hear what I have to say. 
Well, that's not good enough. That's not a good enough reason for Jesus to lead people into the door of the church. There has to be what you're talking about, that community, that transformational love and concern for them. So last Sunday I shared with my congregation, the Lord spoke to me very clearly last spring as we do this podcast right now, we're into the fall. And I was praying that same prayer. I was praying, Lord, we want baptisms. We want salvations. And the Lord said, the church is not ready. The church, I'm talking about big church, the church of Jesus Christ. The church is not ready. I'm thinking, what do you mean? And God said, I'm going to send people into your church who are like sheep, who are starving. They're not cared for. They're ill-fed. He said, you got to strengthen the church first. And it's interesting. Somebody reminded me of this a couple of weeks ago. They said, you remember when you gave that prophecy last spring, that word from the Lord? It's happening. All these people are coming into the church and they're on fire believers. They're just looking for something different and they're looking for something deeper. Some of them have come from churches that have betrayed the gospel of Jesus. They're preaching a false gospel. Others have come from large mega churches, and they're saying, there's got to be more than this. This is great when we started out in this church and we heard about this relationship with Jesus, but we sense there's something more. God will always have a remnant. He's never going to give up on the church. And I believe, I've heard this from other pastors in my community too. One church said, we haven't grown for years. All of a sudden, we're starting to grow. And I know why, because they have begun to develop this community, this culture of Christianity. And I said to the congregation last week, all these new people here, and there's a lot of new people, I mean, maybe 40 or 50 people over the last year, you are the answer to that prophetic word that came. We have got to figure out somehow, I mean, it's great that these large churches are good at, at bringing people back to the church. But at some point, either they have to develop the kind of culture that we're talking about, or they have to send them to places where they can find that culture. So our theme today, Pastor Walt, was pluralism. So give us a concluding thought on how the church can rid itself of pluralism. What does that look like in the life of a church? Well, I was taught by a a professor in college years ago, plan your work and work your plan. Aim to hit nothing and you'll hit it every time. You have to, as I'm doing in my life, it's a process. See, that's everything we want instantaneous. But how many times have you or I gone to a seminar or a sermon and, we, and it's life-changing? It rarely happens. The growth of the Christian is steady and slow, and that defies our culture. We want everything instantly. We have to continue to order our lives around the practices of Jesus. Jesus gave us specific practices, and very few of those are believers doing. He taught his disciples how to heal, how to cast out demons, how to teach the word. He taught them how to get alone with his heavenly Father, to go to solitude. That's another part. He memorized the scripture. He read the scripture, every part of his life. And he came to the point where he said later in his ministry, I don't do anything except what my father tells me to do. I think that's the goal. That's the bar that we don't do anything in our lives unless it's ordered with our heavenly father. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden.
We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.